0: This is The Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, where you'll hear about many
1: aspects of law in England and Wales, with special guests, industry experts, and local charities. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Welcome to The Legal Lounge. For our releases during December 2023, we're giving you a chance to hear some of our podcast content from the last two years, which you may find helpful but may not have heard yet. We'll be back with brand new episodes from January 2024. In this episode, Katie Baker and Jamie Porter from the Dispute Resolution Team talk about making and defending claims in the Small Claims Court. They discuss the pre-action protocol and point out the importance of following the correct protocol, as well as where to find the forms, along with the general process and what you need to do.
2: Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Jamie. And we're here from the dispute resolution department to talk about the small claims process. There are many reasons why people start claims. You might be a consumer purchasing an item only to find it doesn't work. You might engage a tradesperson to carry out work on your home only for it to be left incomplete. Or maybe you've supplied goods or services to another and your invoice remains unpaid. With the cost of living increasing and our disposable income needing to stretch further and further each month, we're receiving more and more inquiries about commencing court proceedings and also defending them. This episode aims to help you consider the ins and outs of making a claim as well as providing practical advice for those who may recently have received a claim form.
0: That's right and it's important to note that there are three main tracks within the court where claims can be allocated. First off the small claims track where claims up to the value of £10,000 are issued. Following that there's the fast track where claims up to the value of £25,000 and those which aren't too complex are issued and the multi-track where high value claims i.e. those over £25,000 and those which are complex are issued. For the purposes of this podcast though we're going to be mainly focusing on the process found within the small claims court.
2: So one of the key factors of the small claims track is that it doesn't really offer any costs award to the successful party. There's a very, very limited cost recovery um, of around £80 plus that, which will not normally touch the sides with regards to any legal fees that you might incur in progressing the matter to a hearing. For that reason, it's generally run by litigants in person, um, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do a podcast on this particular issue, because it tends to be something that's unfamiliar to people, and they need a little bit of guidance, and maybe a little bit of hand-holding and going through the process. Um, So today we're going to look at both the claimant and defendant side of things, because the way that it's approached is obviously different depending on um, whether you are a claimant or whether you're a defendant. So before you get to court proceedings, you should always be adhering to what's known as the pre-action protocol. Um, so if you find yourself in a situation where you believe that you have a right to claim or reclaim money from another the first thing you should do is write to them setting out the issues which you believe gives rise to a claim for payment or reimbursement.
0: The pre-action process is an important first step and one which all claims regardless of which track it's going to end up in must adhere to. The Pre-action protocol for England and Wales are found within the civil procedurals, practice direction for pre-action conduct. And depending upon the type of claim which is being made, you may have to follow a different pre-action process. So it's very important to identify which pre-action process you need to follow. Some of the, uh, the more common ones are where there's been a dispute that you might have had with uh, a tradesperson uh, or a builder, and that may need to follow the pre-action protocol for construction disputes. As we've said, it's quite important to identify that early on because a failure to comply with the correct pre-action process may result in delays as the court may stay the claim for the proper pre-action process to be undertaken. The purpose of uh, pre-action correspondence, regardless of which particular pre-action protocol is applied, is for the parties involved in litigation to fully understand each other's position so decisions regarding the conduct of that case can be made. And in uh, applying the, uh, the 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 pre-action protocols, one of the things that uh, that needs to be borne in mind is the the overriding objective, which is a specific rule of the court which obliges parties to deal with cases uh, justly and at proportionate cost. This can be met by acting appropriately. So the first step may be for the parties to adopt a conciliatory approach where possible, taking stock of the dispute. Uh, in a whole and the values involved, and making pragmatic decisions about the conduct of of the claim. A further feature of the overriding objective is to save expenses, which is to say that the parties are encouraged to explore cost-effective ways of resolving their disputes, uh, such as engaging in negotiation, mediation, or alternative forms of dispute resolution. The focus should be on resolving the dispute as cost-effectively and as efficiently as possible And really with a view that litigation should be considered a last resort, where there is complete impasse and the parties can't resolve their differences without reference to the court.
2: So on a practical level, um, clearly set out the issues that you have, the dispute that has arisen with the individual or the company involved set out what it is that you're looking for most likely option is money but if there is another remedy that you're seeking then to set that out and also provide documents which will help the other side to understand your position so if you've got invoices that you're seeking to recover enclose a copy of those invoices with your initial letter to them um, just to assist them in, in generally understanding the position and again that that all really adheres to the overriding objective as, as Jamie said adopting that conciliator your approach and, and putting your cards on the table being transparent And and trying to find a way forward. One of the the main things that we notice with small claims matters is that quite often people go straight to issuing proceedings and it really is important to try and engage in this pre-action process. Um, As I've said, putting... Details down thoroughly in a letter as to what the issues are, um, what you're hoping to achieve, Uh, maybe even putting forward an early proposal to settle, can really help avoid litigation. um, But it can also, therefore, help criticism from the court at a later date. The court are not keen on parties just simply going straight to commencing proceedings. They don't see it as helpful, and they see it as clogging up the court. So. They really do encourage the parties to to negotiate and to engage and to try and resolve their differences or at the very least narrow the issues in disputes where possible. So it's important to really take time. When you're providing the other side with a letter before action or a letter of claim, as it's also known, um, it's important to give them a reasonable period of time to respond. So I would say seven days, 14 days is probably a little bit tight, especially if the issues are complicated or it might be the first time that they've had the option to review. A minimum of 21 days. You can be guided by the protocols and the complexity of the matter, um, but but be reasonable. And if the other side have approached you to say they need a little bit more time to respond, then generally speaking, I, I would recommend that you, you afford them that time. The chances are it's going to show willingness on your part to, to seek a resolution. Um, but... Also, you don't know if you're going to need an extension of time later down the line, so it, it's always good to have that in hand.
0: A well-drafted letter before action coupled with a sensible proposal for resolution can, in certain instances, help save relationships, whether that be business relationships, interpersonal relationships. It may be that there's been a misunderstanding and the clarity that is provided by a well-drafted letter before action or letter of claim can help resolve that. and. Uh, help to move past any uh, bad experiences that uh, may have gone before and you know may open that line of communication that perhaps wasn't there previously.
2: I've come across circumstances like that fairly recently but it may well even be worthwhile putting a little line to that effect at, at the conclusion of your letter to say that you, you hope to be able to work through this and to, to maintain a good working relationship going forward just to stress to the other side that you really are trying to resolve this amicably um, and you're not just simply threatening court proceedings or, or taking a gung-ho approach in that regard. That's from a claimant's perspective. From a defendant's perspective, if you receive a pre-action letter setting out a potential claim, what should you do?
0: As a defendant, the process is slightly different to that of a claimant. Obviously, you're not. Initiating proceedings, you're going to be responding rather than taking proactive steps to pursue something. So the important thing to do as a defendant, if you receive a letter of claim, is to engage with it. Far too frequently, I've seen cases where people haven't engaged with uh, with letters of claim, which has resulted in proceedings continuing where they perhaps ought not to have had the party involved actually took steps to address the issue as it arose. It's important upon receiving this, this letter of claim in the first instance to, to seek advice on it because sometimes there can be matters which you know, perhaps you don't have experience in and in which you might be initially confused at and in those circumstances it, it never hurts to, to seek professional guidance on the content of the letter now that you've received the the letter of claim and you've you've sought advice where appropriate the next step is to prepare a detailed letter of response where the other side have provided you a letter of claim which contains assertions which you don't agree with you need to point those out you need to disagree where it is appropriate to do so and to agree where it is also appropriate to do so Uh, if you have any documents which help support your position then it would be useful to include those within your letter of response as we said it's all about communication it's all about being open with the other side so as to provide each other with as much information as you possibly can to attempt to resolve your differences without need to resort to court proceedings
2: and it's important not to see this as a, as a futile exercise uh, yes this person has submitted you a letter of claim and you are responding and there's a good chance that you're not agreeing on a lot of points but in the same way that their letter seeks to set out their position and help you better understand the, the position that they find themselves in your letter should do likewise and, and it you may well find that it assists them in, in re- receiving your response to understand why things have happened a certain way that in itself could completely prevent proceedings being commenced.
0: If you do receive a letter of claim which, frankly, is justified and you know, where you, through perhaps not necessarily a fault of your own, haven't complied with things that you ought to have, then to concede that point and to make an early offer to settle, uh, that you know, is going to save a lot of costs and a lot of aggravation in the long run.
2: Moving on, if that process hasn't been successful, the letter has gone, it's been responded to, you're still at an impasse, maybe the early offers that you've made haven't been accepted. The next step would be for the claimant, so the person bringing the claim, to consider commencing proceedings. Um, As we've touched on already, this isn't a decision that should be made lightly. Make sure that you you have really engaged, um, you've tried to resolve uh, matters between you, um, and really use the the commencement proceedings as, as a last resort.
0: The formal process of, of issuing proceedings requires that you complete some forms, commonly referred to as the claim form and the particulars of claim. Depending upon the complexity of the claim, it may be that you can fit your particulars within the claim form itself, but for a slightly more complex or protracted disputes, you may need to, to draft separate particulars. Uh, we do advise that if it is the case that you require separate particulars drafting, then you should probably seek professional guidance on doing so because there are formalities which uh, you will be required to uh, comply with and your failure to do so could jeopardise the validity of your claim. These court forms are available on HMCTS website. You can download them in PDF format, you can print them.
2: It's also possible, more recently, to submit these claims online. Um, There is an online money claim system now um, whereby the, the claim is effectively managed online in its entirety when it comes to the paperwork side of things. In those instances, you wouldn't be preparing a separate particulars of claim. The particulars of the claim would be contained uh, within the claim form. Um, the one thing I do find with those particular forms is that they're slightly harder to format, um, and that so you need to be mindful that, that if you've got a particular layout in your head, it might not necessarily work with those those forms. But you are actively encouraged to use the online system, and it and it is quite quick um, and it's generally more efficient especially with the increase in pressure on on the courts
0: the online system for issuing claims is still subject to the same court rules and the same consideration for drafting needs to be given to online particulars as they would be for hard copy a party needs to be wary about drafting important documents too quickly as they say act in haste repent at leisure
2: yeah, put a little bit of time and effort into to what you're drafting think about the fact that these papers are not only going to your opponent who I appreciate will already have had the benefit of, of receiving a letter before action but also um the court and the court needs to understand your claim just as much as the other side does if you've got a very rushed and jumbled claim form or particulars of claim the the judge is really going to struggle um to understand what's going on here and and in many ways you're you're almost giving an advantage to your opponent who may respond in a far more clear and concise manner. So take your time, by all means draft it separately to begin with and and then go and incorporate it into the forms as and when you feel that, that it's prepared and it's ready.
0: That's the process for pursuing a claim as a claimant but what happens if you're a defendant and you need to respond to a claim? The first point that you need to consider when receiving a claim form is that you shouldn't delay. There are strict timescales within which a party is expected to comply and their failure to do so could result in the claimant obtaining judgment in default against you which is a process whereby a claimant in the absence of any response from the defendant is entitled to enter judgment for the full amount of their claim notwithstanding the defendant may have a defence to it. The usual timescales are... 14 days to acknowledge service or file a defence. The acknowledgement of service is useful where you perhaps need some more time to consider the claim or seek legal advice. You can acknowledge service and the time to file your defence is extended to 28 days from the date of service. I have noticed and I, I think you've noticed too Katie that there is some slight variation on the timescales when dealing with online claims, although I think it's, it would be important to bear the 14 and 28 day timescales in mind when dealing with any claim and obviously there's no issue if you act within that time.
2: I tend to find that the um the initial response period is around the same, but once you've acknowledged you appear to get a little bit more time, although there does seem to be a slight difference between cases as to as to how long you get to respond. But again, as Jamie says, stick to the fourteen days initially and then your twenty eight days. Uh, inclusive of the original 14 for filing of your defence. If you are dealing online, um, once you've acknowledged, it will notify you of the exact date you've got to respond. Um, One of the things that you need to be aware of is even if you do receive paper copies, quite often it will guide you to go to the online system. If you've not presented a claim before or been received a claim before, you will need to set up an online account and link that account to the proceedings that you've received in order to be able to respond again seek guidance on this if it's something you're not particularly comfortable with if you're not tech savvy um, or just something that you feel a little bit unsure about um, it is a fairly simple process i appreciate it, it can feel a little bit alien and a bit concerning but they do guide you through it as much as possible and the instructions do come through with with the papers as well so much as jamie said with regards to responding to an initial letter the Defence needs to be constructed in the same way so you need to admit or deny in full or you can deny some of the claims um, and acknowledge others. Um, with regards to each of the points made in the claim form and the particulars of the claim, make sure you go through them thoroughly and make sure that you clearly set out your response to each. You'll be deemed to admit something if you don't formally respond to it so just make sure that you've gone through that claim form or particulars of the claim with a fine tooth comb before you proceed. The other rather helpful thing that comes with the small claims track is that they will often, after you've responded, offer you the opportunity of engaging in the small claims mediation process. Both myself and Jamie have found that to be particularly effective. It's a free service. On that basis, I don't really see any reason why you would object to being involved in it. And again, they will guide you through the process.
0: In fact, it can be somewhat perilous to refuse to engage in mediation as this point could be taken by your opponent. Should the matter proceed to final hearing and potentially used as grounds to seek costs against you?
2: One of the myths to allay in regards to mediation or the small claims mediation process is that you don't have to be face to face. Um, Much of it is conducted by telephone. The mediator's in the middle. They'll speak to you in confidence they'll then put you on hold whilst they go and speak to your opponent so you're not actually having to engage with the opponent which i appreciate can be difficult if, if relations are a little bit strange um, and also you can have your brief discussions with the mediator in regards to what you're proposing without you having to formulate that and put that directly to the opponent which is something i know that concerns some people
0: as a defendant, if you've received the claim and you deny the entirety of it, the next step would be to file and serve your defence. If it's done online, I believe you you, you just submit it via the online system. So once the defence has been filed and the matter proceeds as a as a contested claim, the next step will be for the court to send out a small claims directions questionnaire, which is a relatively brief document which asks for certain information to be provided to assist the court in allocating it to the appropriate track and also ensuring that the correct amount of time is given to hear it. The form's fairly self-explanatory. You have to include your details as a point of contact and an address at which you can be served, court correspondence. One of the things it, uh, it will ask is for you to consider whether or not the matter requires expert evidence. Uh, that's highly dependent upon the claim itself. If it's a straightforward claim, then There may not be a need for expert evidence but if for instance it's a claim which includes some element of technicality so you know for instance if there's a a, a building claim where a party's pursuing a builder for not completing the work to specification then there may need to be expert evidence to confirm that position as the court won't be in a position to arrive at any conclusions on something which is not within its expertise.
2: The cost of expert evidence is generally recoverable from the other side in the event that you're successful, Um, but that doesn't mean you should just go out and incur the cost of expert evidence regardless. Obviously, if it's a debt claim, it's highly unlikely you're going to need any form of expert evidence, but if if you feel it's necessary and it's and it's justified, do try and ensure that also the costs are proportionate to the issues in dispute, and um, then you may well have the option to recover that sum at the end if it's genuinely been used to assist the court.
0: For the most part, the court will try and provide directions that a single joint expert be uh, instructed, so they have one expert to provide evidence to the court on the matter which is in contention, and. The costs of instructing the expert are shared between the parties, and as Katie says, the party who is successful will usually be entitled to recover their contribution from the other side. The other point uh, which requires some consideration in the Small Claims Directions Questionnaire are the number of witnesses which you require. Again, usually if it's a relatively simple matter it's involving you know, non-payment of a debt, then you know you, you wouldn't likely need more than one witness, but you need to consider how many witnesses you need to give evidence as to the facts of your dispute. So if the dispute involves several people on your side, you need to consider which of those people are going to be needed to give evidence to the court on your side of the dispute. Your failure to include the correct number of witnesses could potentially undermine your case going forward as the the court are unlikely to entertain the introduction of witnesses after the directions have been filed and the hearing has been listed for a certain amount of time as do, in doing so may interfere with you know the court's ability to dispose of the proceedings in that hearing.
2: On that particular point it's important to note that Any supporting documents need to be provided in line with the court's timetable. You cannot turn up to a hearing on the day with additional documents and seek to have them um, admitted as evidence. The court will not tolerate that type of approach um, and doing so could severely damage your own claim if you've missed serving a crucial document. So make sure that you spend the time preparing your case before you seek to submit any relevant information and in ample time before any deadline is met. Also be mindful that this isn't um, a a game of cat and mouse. It doesn't necessarily mean that because you've got five witnesses or you can gather five potential witnesses that your evidence is going to be stronger than the two potential witnesses that, that, that the opponent might have. Think about what these witnesses can add to the proceedings, what they can actually assist the court with if they're simply there for hearsay matters and aren't really going to add any weight then don't include them Um, also speak to your witnesses beforehand Um, there is no point putting down that you've got 10 witnesses and finding out later down the line that only one of them is willing to prepare a witness statement and attend court Um, It makes sure that people people often are pipe put off by legal proceedings so be open and honest with your potential witnesses about the fact that you, you may want them to assist you and make sure that they're on board.
0: Once the directions questionnaires have been filed the court will process those questionnaires and they will provide directions to trial and both parties will in due course receive an order from the court detailing the time and location of the hearing and the estimated length of the hearing.
2: These orders are normally about three or four pages long, um, despite the fact that there's very few directions actually afforded in in a small claims track matter do Read through them carefully. A lot of them highlight the consequences of failing to adhere to a specific direction, um, and they also do contain some guidance. So, for example, one of the things which you'll be asked to do and will be timetabled within that order is um, provide witness ev- evidence and supporting documents by a particular date. The court does offer you some guidance within the order as to how to do that. Um, So for example they'll indicate that at the head of any witness evidence you'll need to provide the name of the case and the claim number, the full names of the parties, the name and address of the person making the statement um, and that you'll need to set out the evidence clearly with numbered paragraphs and they'll also advise you to put a statement of truth which needs to be signed and dated at the base of the statement. So it's important to go through this with a fine tooth comb really, pick up any, any guidance that you can. They are mindful that these matters are generally run by litigants in person and so the court does try to assist wherever possible.
0: That's correct although it is worth bearing in mind that whilst the court is sympathetic to litigants in person they are still subject to the same rules as represented parties so in all proceedings whether you're a litigant in person or not you should always uh, make sure you're in compliance with the court rules.
2: That stands for in particular deadlines set by the court. Um, There is very little sympathy from a court if you miss a deadline. You're both provided with the order, you're both required to comply. Um, There are very few cases when a court has Any great deal of sympathy for somebody who misses deadlines and as Jamie said that's regardless of whether you're a litigant in person or represented. So the main job that you're going to have um, from the court is setting out your witness statements and attaching any supporting documents to those witness statements. The court in that order will have set out the formalities of how that witness evidence should be presented. but you should carefully consider what information you're putting in. It's very easy to write a rambling statement containing everything, including the kitchen sink, but try to focus your mind on the issues that the court is going to need to understand in order to determine your case. Think about the facts that are key to the dispute. It may well be that the, the background has no real relevance if it's simply to do with matters that have happened months and months before any contract was formed or any dispute has arisen. Um, so just think very carefully about what your issues are and try not to write a really, really lengthy statement giving them war and peace on everything that's ever happened since you ever engaged with this particular individual or, or company.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also worth noting as well that witness statements are supposed to provide evidence of fact. So a witness statement speaks to the facts of a dispute, what happened, when, times, etc. It's not the appropriate uh, document in which to make legal arguments, for instance. So although you, know, you may have some understanding of uh, the law and you may be familiar with some case law that might be directly relevant to your uh, case, including that within your witness statement wouldn't necessarily be appropriate and things like that should be saved for submissions at the hearing.
2: One notable difference with the small claims tract is the requirement to submit your witness evidence and your supporting documentation at the same time. It happens slightly differently in, in fast track and multi track cases. So make sure that you are getting everything together at that point and submitting everything over, um, ensuring, of course, that a copy goes to the court and to the other side in the same way that they should be providing you with a copy of their witness evidence. Again, enforcing that uh, point of transparency that we highlighted a little bit earlier. Ultimately, the clearer the evidence that you present to the court, both in witness statement format and any documentation that you've compiled, um, the easier the hearing will be to manage both for the parties and for the judge presiding over that particular hearing. So, you've filed all your evidence and you are fast approaching the day of the hearing. What do you do?
0: The first point to uh, to bear in mind is not to be scared, that it is a daunting Arena to be in. It's perhaps you know unfamiliar to you. That's quite um, formal, and you know one may have images of TV courtroom dramas, crown court, etc. You know ringing through their their mind at the time. You know it's, it's not anything to be afraid of. That the the judge is going to be in possession of the documents. They're going to be you know mindful of the uh, the dispute, and they will guide the parties through the process as best they can, although it isn't their job to argue your case, so that's still on you but uh, compliance with the rules and proper procedure and etiquette will be made known to you by the judge or the the, the ushers on the day.
2: What we've noticed um, a lot obviously during COVID and since, is that a lot of these hearings, although some are now returning to to in-person hearings, a lot of them are being conducted um, by way of Microsoft Teams. Um, and one of the questions that I regularly get asked is, what should I wear? <laughs> um, my general advice is to present yourself as you would if you went to court. So while you might not be comfortable sat there in a jacket if you're in a sweltering office on, on Zoom or Microsoft Teams, in shirt and tie, make a good impression, and um, show that you're taking the matter seriously. As with everything, really, be polite and don't try to talk over the judge or to control the matter. The judge is there to preside over the hearing. They will ask you questions, answer appropriately. Don't try to be too aggressive um, to your opponent or try to pose questions to them. L- leave the judge to, to guide you through that particular procedure.
0: The order of uh, service usually for court proceedings will be that The claimant goes first, so they will usually open the case, uh, outlining the uh, the nature of their claim and the evidence in support of it, following which, if the claimant has any witnesses, they will be sworn to give evidence, and the defendant will have an opportunity to cross-examine the claimant's witnesses. Uh, on conclusion of the claimant's case, the defendant will then take their turn, so they will open their defence. Again, their witnesses will give evidence and the claimant will have opportunity to cross-examine their witnesses. Um, on the point of cross-examination, it's it's not something which should, uh, you know, be, uh, be used to uh, attack your opponent unnecessarily. In reality, the court, you know, will expect... Uh, the parties to test the evidence through cross-examination of of each party um, and to really keep your cross-examination limited to points which you disagree with and for which you might offer an alternative version of events in your evidence. You know, it's not like a few good men where (laughs) you can't handle the truth will be shouted at (laughs) and uh, you know, the judge will sort of sit by and let that happen. It's a relatively dull affair in reality, and it's, as I say, really an opportunity for the parties to disagree with points of the opponent's evidence um, and, you know, which they might have provided alternative versions of events for. And it's uh, it's always important to state uh, your case at the end of, of, of any cross-examination as well.
2: Don't be surprised as well if the judge asks a few questions um, to clarify any points that they're not particularly clear on um, and just make sure that you answer those as, as fully as you possibly can. Following that, the judge will give their judgment during the hearing. Um, it is important that you make a note of what the judge says. If you are unclear at any point, ask them to clarify they're normal people, they're not uh, difficult to approach, they will be used to dealing with litigants in person. Um, So if there is some terminology that that you haven't understood, or maybe they've simply gone a little bit too quickly, um, ask them if they can just repeat that and make sure you make a note of everything that is, is handed down in respect of a judgment. The reason being you will eventually get an order um, but i understand that it's quite a lengthy wait at the moment for uh, for orders sure. 35 working day turnaround for for some orders in some courts so what you need to be mindful of particularly if this is a debt claim um is that the chances are the court is going to make an award for a payment to be made within maybe 14 or 21 days you are unlikely to get the order within that time frame Um, and that doesn't give you a reasonable excuse not to make those payments within that time frame. So make sure you make a note of any deadlines and and any information the judge is giving you so that you can ensure compliance.
0: A failure to pay a judgment within a certain time frame might result in a county court judgment being registered against you for six years um, which could affect your ability to obtain credit or finance uh, individually. In summary, the legal process can be quite daunting. Our Advice would be that if you're in any doubt at all as to how to proceed, you should always seek to instruct someone who can appropriately advise you on these matters. We're open to receiving inquiries from both claimants and defendants in relation to all manner of disputes that might arise.
1: Thanks to Jamie and Katie for lending their expertise. More proof that lawyers don't bite. If you need legal help from either of them, please get in touch through lblaw.co.uk. If you have a particular legal issue you'd like me to put to our specialists for an upcoming episode, please let me know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. If you found the conversations helpful, please remember to follow, review and share the episodes. And don't forget to go back and check out some of the shows from the other seasons speak to you soon. That was The Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors.
0: Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources and please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.